Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. We are at the end of something before we begin the fall, and the thing we're at the end of is we have been doing a series in our messages on fruit of the Spirit. And if you've been with us all summer or most of the summer, you know that, that after school ended, we started going through this series in Galatians 5 where we talked about the different fruits of the Spirit or fruit of the Spirit that is born. Um, and, and there's a list at the end of Galatians, and we have been going through that list of these are the fruit of the Spirit and going one at a time and explaining those. Well, we finished that list last Sunday, and so today we're going to kind of wrap up and recap what we've been doing with that. And um, I'm going to do that today. Basically, our, our sermon structure today is actually pretty simple. There's one basic question I would love for us to be able to answer today. And that question is, now that we've examined all these qualities listed as the fruit of the Spirit, how do we see them produced in our lives? And so it's a very practical question. You know, what do we do if this is the fruit of the Spirit? What part do we play? Do we do all of it? Do we do none of it? Are we supposed to just go and do these things? Are we supposed to sit and wait for it to happen? How does this get produced? And so that's kind of the main question we are going to work with today. And the passages we read today, I think, suggest that as the topic. And I hope in a couple of minutes you'll see why I say that. But we're going to take a look today, not at that fruit of the Spirit list that we have been doing kind of one item at a time all summer long. But we're going to look at what precedes it and what comes after it. So we're going to look at two bookend passages, and here are what they are. Here's the first bookend, and I'm going to read it for us. It's Galatians 5, 16 through 18. It's going to be on the screen. If you have a Bible, you want to turn there, you can feel free to do that. So Galatians 5, 16 through 18 is our, our first little section that we're going to look at, and it says this. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature wishes what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. And then after that comes the section where he says the deeds of the flesh are this and the deeds of the spirit are this that we have read. And I'm actually skipping that section today because I want us to be able to focus on the beginning and end. But I think from reading it all summer, you're very familiar with that middle section. Here's the back bookend that happens after he goes through the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And this is Galatians 5, 24 through 26. And it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And then you can see in verse 26 right there, this actually starts Paul going on giving some more specific applications that result from these ideas and behaviors. And that list continues on into chapter 6, which is kind of like a grab bag of final thoughts that Paul wants to say to the Galatians um, as he closes his letter, probably occasioned by the exact circumstances they were in and what he really wanted to see in that church, which, of course, we can learn from today. But those are the two passages that we're going to be looking at. So, so two parts of this one passage the beginning and the, the back book end on this fruit of the Spirit section, okay? And I'm going to make or pull out 
one main point from each. So really just two main points that are going to help us answer this question. And I'm going to take a look at one verse from each. And from the first section, this is the verse that I want to spotlight, that I think kind of speaks to our question. And it is um, verse 20, or sorry, verse 18, which says, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. What does that mean? It might sound a little confusing, but actually, if you think about it, it's pretty clear. It's not that hard. Um, I think most of us understand the concept that the Bible talks about when it uses the word law. But if, if this is something new, or maybe you're just kind of exploring this for the first time, let me, let me give a little background on this. When you see the New Testament typically use the word law, it's often with a capital L in the English translations, because typically what is being talked about is the law of Moses. And it's this idea that back in the Old Testament, God gave the Ten Commandments and he gave the whole law that's in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus in the Torah. And this expressed God's will for his people Israel at the time. And the idea was that this occasioned obedience. And so the whole idea of approaching God and being blameless before him came through the obedience of the law. Now later on, actually in this book, Galatians, we learned that the whole point of the law was not really to save people. It was to show people our sin. In other words, the law was so impossible to keep by us sinful human beings that basically what it showed us is we need a savior. And Paul says in Galatians 4, the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. And so this idea of law basically is a metonymy for the idea of earning God's favor by doing good things. So when you see keeping the law or observing the law or something, that's the idea. My actions will give me salvation. My actions will grant me a relationship with God. It's the idea of earning, that if I do enough good things, I'm going to have that relationship with God. And so this is kind of what Paul is talking about, is this idea of doing good deeds. And sometimes, I think a lot of people, when they think of Christianity, you, you tend to think of the Old Testament, of the idea of keeping the law. Actually, we tend to think that when we hear any religion, because pretty much every religion has that tenant, doesn't it? It's this idea of if I do enough good deeds, I can achieve whatever thing I want, right? It's this, um, this idea that to be a good person means pleasing to God, means doing right things. And every religion seems to have that, whether or not it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to walk the fivefold path so I can achieve nirvana, or I'm going to put my good deeds on the scale against my bad deeds so I can achieve paradise, or any other religion that you might even think of. There's this idea that my actions precipitate my achieving some religious goal. In other words, what I do results in the accomplishment of it, right? But Paul says, no, actually, that's not the case when we follow Christ. And he says it in this sentence when he says those led by the Spirit are not under law. He's saying this idea that there's this idea of being under law, and there's this idea of being led by the Spirit, and they are not the same thing. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, you're not under this system of having to do all the right things to achieve God's favor, okay? And that is true because in the gospel, we have been freed from that, and this is the thing that makes Christianity different from any other religion. 
See, in the gospel, we know if we are Christ's followers that even though we were evil and sinful and we have done wrong things and rebelled against God all our lives in so many different ways, Jesus Christ came as a revelation of God, as the Son of God, died on the cross to atone for us. And so he takes our place. He takes away our guilt and we are pardoned. He takes away our shame and brings us back into the honored family of God. And therefore, we are not rescued by all the good things we do. We are rescued and brought back to the Lord by Jesus Christ and the gift that he gives us and through faith. We are not under the law. That's not what the gospel is, right? And actually, the whole book of Galatians is about that. From the very first chapter onward, Paul is trying to get across for them, you are not justified in God's sight by all the things you do. You're not under law. Christianity gets this the other direction. There's a great quote by Martin Luther that kind of points this out, and it's going to be on the screen. Martin Luther said this in a very simple but famous sentence, we do not become righteous by doing righteous deeds, but having been made righteous, we do righteous deeds. We do not become righteous by doing righteous deeds, but having been made righteous, we do righteous deeds. You see, Luther understood that a relationship with God, in that Christ leads us to a renewal, a spiritual chain that makes us want to do good deeds. And that's the difference between being under the law and being led by the Spirit. When we're under law, we feel like we have to achieve all these things. But when we're in the Spirit, our hearts are changed. It's the difference between religion and relationship, as some people like to say. And that's kind of where we are. That's what we're under. Our status is not because of all the good things we do, but we do all the good things because of our status. In other words, we're not righteous because we do these things. Christianity turns that 180 degrees around and says we, we do righteous things because... We have a relationship with God, not in order to get one. Now, this idea is really important to what we're talking about when it comes to being led by the Spirit. And that is because what Paul is trying to get across to us is we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives already. We do not have to do all these great things to get the Holy Spirit to pay attention to us. We do not have to earn the Holy Spirit showing up in power. We already have that. And so because we have that presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can live differently. So Paul says that the Holy Spirit dwells in us um, in, uh, in Romans 8, 9. And this idea of dwelling is a long-term word, right? We don't think about dwelling in a hotel, we think about staying the night, but we think about dwelling in our homes, right? We dwell in a residence. When, the, when Romans 8, 9 says the Holy Spirit dwells in us or lives in us, that means he takes up residence. We have that presence of the Spirit with us in our lives. And all of us who have faith in Christ have this because this is what Jesus said in John 14. If he goes away, he would send a better comforter, the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what he has done. So we have that. And now the Holy Spirit lives in us. We have a part of God that lives in us. And even though we were dead spiritually in our sin, now we're alive because that Holy Spirit lives in us. Because we have that presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives now, we do not having to earn the Holy Spirit to come bless us by doing all these good things. In other words, we are not under law. 
Am I making sense? The point that Paul is making here is that our situation is different. We need to think differently about how this happens. So the question that that begs then is, how do we see the fruit of the Holy Spirit? We have this Holy Spirit in us, and now we are a different kind of people. We do not do this list of the deeds of the flesh that he talked about, not just because we're commanded not to, but but really because we're not that kind of person anymore. We used to, to tend toward that, but now we have the Holy Spirit in us. And when we give in to that list of the flesh, all those deeds that he lists in Galatians 5 that we looked at previously, we're not really living according to who we are. That's not authentically who we are. We actually are a people that lean toward the fruit of the Spirit. So how does that happen? Where does that fruit of the Spirit come from, and how does it get produced? since we're now that kind of person with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, that's a great segue because that will take us to the back bookend. And I'm totally lost in my notes because I get so excited about talking these things. I don't even know exactly where I am. So let's look at that back bookend here a little bit. And that back bookend is this. Galatians 5 24 through 26. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nation nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Now, you might notice Paul continued this with a thought we just said in verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit. In other words, he's saying... Since we're not under the law, but since we live by the Spirit, then what? And that is what he states. Now, there's a number of phrases in the New Testament that describe this relationship with the Holy Spirit, and they aren't contradictory. We've already hit a couple of them. One is led by the Spirit. Another one is live by the Spirit. We have just read, keep in step by the Spirit. There's also, in Ephesians 5.18, this idea of be filled with the Spirit. And what does all that mean? All these different statements about the Holy Spirit. Well, this can sound kind of confusing. We have all these different phrases, and all of them are commands. And then what's even more confusing is the one in Ephesians. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's a command to do something passive which is especially head-scratching. How, how do you go obey to do something passive? And so what is that talking about? Well, let's talk about that. So the main idea that we are being taught and commanded to attend to in this section is that we have the Spirit's power present and available to us, and we are to avail ourselves of it. Paul has already made the point. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And we do righteous deeds because we are already in a relationship with God, not to earn that spirit. We already have it. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. And so if we are to live by the Spirit, basically we are expected to experience that Spirit and avail ourselves of it. Now, this idea that the Holy Spirit gives power is incontrovertible because there's just a host of passages all through the New Testament that talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and what the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to do, right? This is just 
one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit's relationship with us that's so prevalent. But when it comes to this idea of being like filled with the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit, we humans, as with anything, we tend to go to extremes one way or another theologically to try to like wrap our heads around this idea. And you see this very often with this. You know, there are, on the one hand, there are those of us who think we are kind of told to actively wield the power of the Holy Spirit like it's some sort of, some sort of tool that we have and, and do all these miraculous gifts and things. And on the other hand, there are those that think, oh, well, it's, it's a passive command, so we should just sit, and, and the Holy Spirit will just kind of instantly make us holy, like flipping a switch. Um, you know, when we, when we see those extremes, you know, often the former looks like really pursuing charismatic gifts or seeking miracle encounters or light, and then the latter view about being passive actually arises from the Wesleyan holiness movement in English, in England, and the Keswick Conventions in the 18th century. If you are into the history of these ideas, you can go trace all those things. I won't do that this morning. But there are these different ideas about, well, what does, what does being filled with the Holy Spirit really mean? An older classic book that I really like that I think that talks about this and some of the extreme ideas that we have is called Keep in Step with the Spirit by J.I. Packer. And I want to read you a little quote that comes from that, of what he says about it. And it's, I like it. It's a bit long, so I put it on the screen. But I just think he gives such a good, a good explanation of it. Here's what it says. It says, another notion popping up is that inner passivity waiting for God's power to carry us along is, required, is a required state of heart, the let go and let God, as the too popular slogan has it. It is almost conventional in certain circles to offer power for living to the spiritually needy as a resource that apparently they will be privileged to harness and control once they have committed themselves to Christ. So he's like, there's these different ideas out there of the, of the power or the passivity. But then he says, but all of this sounds more like an adaptation of yoga than biblical Christianity. To start with, it blurs the distinction between manipulating divine power at one's own will, which is magic, exemplified by Simon Magus in Acts 8, and experiencing it as one obeys God's will, which is religion exemplified by Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Furthermore, it's not realistic. It implies that once we become Christians, God's power in us will immediately cancel out defects of character and make our whole lives plain sailing. This, however, is so unbiblical as to be positively dishonest. Certainly, God sometimes works wonders of a certain deliverance from this or that weakness, but every Christian's life is a constant fight against the pressures and pulls of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then he says this, and the battle for Christ's likeness, that is habits of wisdom, devotion, love, and righteousness, is as grueling as it is unending. So you kind of see what he's saying. We have these different ideas about the Holy Spirit, but in actuality, the idea that I'm just going to sit passively and the Holy Spirit is just going to instantly make me holy, that's not biblical. And the idea that I've just been given this power to wield like a club, that's not biblical either. There's a more biblical idea called growth. This idea that we have been given the Holy Spirit to produce fruit and growth in us and that we participate in that. And how do we do that? Well, I think this whole idea of bearing fruit of the Spirit in the, in the commands Paul gives us, I think he kind of tells us how. And it's very helpful. We have the Holy Spirit as a ministry of presence, like we said, and now we live with the Spirit, kind of like partners with that, influenced by that. Now, my, think about the phrase that he uses in this verse, keep in step with the Spirit, okay? 
I especially like that phrase. Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. When you keep in step with someone, what are you doing? Well, in one sense, there's a passivity because you're not the one that's leading. You're not the one determining the path. You're not the one that's setting the pace. You're not the one that has to come up with a journey and do the travel planning. On the other hand, there's also an active part of it. If you're going to keep in step, you're going to have to walk. You're going to have to participate in this. You're not just going to sit passively, right? Um, those of you who are new at, at Classic City, you may not know that there is, a, there is an unofficial institution in our church that uh, goes on, especially in the women's ministry. It's called the Lisa Mason Discipleship Walk. Um, some of the ladies are laughing because you have participated in this. So our, our, um, one of our leaders, Lisa Mason, is uh, especially known for uh, her gifts of connection with people. And um, she has the gift of discipleship walks. Lots of ladies go on walks with Lisa. Um, and, and it is kind of known, even though it's not written down in our little church spiral book here that this happens, that um, these walks with Lisa are not slow, Right? When you go on a Lisa Mason discipleship walk, you basically put on your gym shorts and your hokas, and you kind of go at it. Now, I, I know that I have not done this. That is not, I, that's not my speed. My speed is more like eating chicken biscuits and pizza with Lee. That's more me. But my, some of the, the women students in my ministry and, and my late wife, Karen, who went on many of these walks with Lisa in their friendship have told me all about these walks, right? And so... Lisa is not the Holy Spirit. However, if you're going to go on one of these discipleship walks with Lisa Mason, it is true that you will not have to set the pace. She will definitely do that. And you will not have to determine where you go. And you're going to get spiritually poured into. However, you're probably also going to sweat. In other words, there's a little effort that you're going to have to put out in order to keep in step with what's happening. Now, we are commanded to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And these phrases, led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, actually are all talking about the same thing. So in one phrase, we have this idea of keep in step, which requires an active component. But then we have be filled with the Spirit, which is passive. How are we to think about that? Well, think about the verse, Ephesians 5.18. It says, don't be drunk with wine. And the parallelism, what Paul is really saying is, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Spirit. That's really what he's trying to get across. And so when we are filled with the Spirit, we want to go where he leads. We want to be influenced by him, experiencing the kind of things he produces. You know, when you're drunk, I mean, not that anyone in here does that, right? Um, uh, but, you know, it, it is a command. Do not be drunk with wine. So there's that. Don't disobey. We're not supposed to be drunk. But when a person is drunk, what happens to them? What influence does the alcohol produce in them? You know, we all know what that is. Inability to focus. You can't walk in a straight line. Lack of inhibition. On and on and on. There is this way that when we are drunk on alcohol... It influences and kind of fills us and takes us over. And that's what Paul is saying actually should be happening with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit, we should be taken over, influenced. The Holy Spirit should be shaping us, living out through us. 
right? Well, that's what we are after. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, like we have been talking all summer, we are saying the Holy Spirit produces these things in us. This love, joy, peace, patience, kindness come from this Holy Spirit filling us up and taking us over and bringing these things out of our lives. And this is great news, right? Because what that means is we have power. We have power from God to see these qualities produced in our lives. It doesn't just depend on us. This idea of filling, how, how does that happen? How do you keep a passive command to be filled? And my answer would be, it's by faith. Think about it like this with me. If God says, be filled with the Spirit, and I therefore say, Lord, please fill me with the Spirit in prayer, do you think that's a prayer request that God would like to answer? Well, of course it is. He commanded us to do it. He must want that for us, right? So I think he would be more than happy to answer that. And in, in Luke, Jesus says, you earthly fathers, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father, does the Father know, your heavenly Father know, to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This idea that God is so pleased to do that. And we also know from 1 John that when we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When he hears us, we know that we have the thing he has asked. We have asked of him. And Jesus tells us, when you ask for anything, believe in faith, you have received it, and it will be yours. See, we have all these promises that say, when we ask in God's will, by faith, we can know we have that. And I would say that's how we are filled with the Spirit. When we go to the Lord and say, fill me with your Spirit, by faith, we know that the Spirit can work in us and produce these things. And as I keep in step with him, it's not my own power that has to produce these things, even though I want to live righteously but I have a power from God that now can make me better, that now can grow me. And by faith, I can actually experience that. That's some of the best news ever. We have the presence of the Spirit actually in us, and we can depend on us, depend on that to create righteousness in us. Which means, when you're at the gym, and there's that person across the room that just looks way too hot. And you are tempted to put your eyes somewhere that they should not be. You are not just left to your own willpower. You can pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me the power to go past this temptation. And that Holy Spirit can do that. Or when you are at your wit's end and you are just about to explode in anger at your kids because you've been cooped up in the house all day long and they are driving you crazy. You can say, Holy Spirit, fill me, give me patience. One of that fruit of the Spirit list. And the Holy Spirit can do that because that's fruit he bears in you, right? Or <clears throat> when you are discontent and you feel financial pressure and you are tempted to get money in some way that is illegal or unrighteous, whether it's stealing from your company or cheating on your taxes or some other way, whatever it may be, you can pray, Holy Spirit, fill me with contentment. Cause me to trust your promises to provide all the things I need. And that Holy Spirit is able to do that because we have that power within us. That, ladies and gentlemen, is great news. 
we can keep in step with the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit because He's real and His presence is in us. We've been given it, and we may use it. Go and bear fruit. Let's pray. Lord God, we love being your children. We love being your people. We love it that we are not under the burden of the law. And we love it that we have a relationship of delight with you. Holy Spirit, thank you so much that you dwell in us. And thank you so much that your power is available to fill us and your power is available to change us and to grow us. Lord, I pray that you would give us um, a wisdom and insight to avail ourselves of this because you, you are powerful in us. And I ask, Lord, that um, as you look upon our lives, you would help us pinpoint the places that we need to see your fruit born more in us, that you would cause us to be in positions to depend on you, and that you would grow us in completion for your glory. Uh, I just love it, Lord, that you are a God who is with us, not a God who stands afar off. You are a God who dwells in and with your people. You are not a God that we have to... Um, that we have to put forth effort to reach or to placate. Jesus Christ, praise your name that you are the one who has given us a new comforter by the status with the Lord that you won for us by your blood on the cross. We praise you and we thank you. Amen.